we put them to bed that night and um, the older two were four and two and they were sleeping in the same room and then the baby was in a little crib in our room. Um, but we, we were out in the living room, Nick and I, and we started hearing them cry. And it was this guttural grief cry coming from a child. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never heard a kid cry like that because it was just this grief. Where's my mom? Where am I? How long are we going to be here? What happened? You know, it was this, they had a really traumatic um, removal. Okay. And then at our house with these strangers, you know, Um, of course we like went back there and just talked with them and rocked them and tried to give them some sense of peace but that was just the beginning of this like grief and joy roller coaster this is the podcast where you come alive to your own exclusive magic and find strategies to work that magic in the real world in a way that feels authentic and exciting and inspired and lucrative <laughs> and fun I'm your coach, Bethany Shipley, and this is The Bethany Shipley Show. We are here with Katie Welch. I keep saying this to every single guest, the one and only, but truly... (laughs) The one and only Katie and, um, oh, you guys, if you don't know Katie yet, you are in for a treat. She is one of the most heart centered people that I know. She leads with love and she, not only does she really have what I consider an eternally focused outlook in life. She also, um, kind of like makes, she has this amazing correlation of making sure that her mind is healthy every day. So it's like you she's got the both. She's got the eternal and then also like whenever I run into her out and about, she's like got her headphones in. She's listening to personal development. I just know it. <laughs> um, or a crime podcast, who knows. <laughs> okay. Okay. Did you say crime? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> You never know what it could be, you know? Okay, well, that's I'm writing that down for later. We're going to talk about that cuz I need to know I need to know what to listen to when I just don't really want to have to think, you know? Totally. It's so funny. Oh my god. Well, that was a very kind very kind introduction. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Totally. Totally. Um, okay, so Katie, tell us, we see the Katie you are today, we see the put together, classy, you've got this like antique vibe, and at the same time, extremely, in my opinion, extremely put together vibe going on. Um, you're a foster mom, you're a bio mom, you are a wife, you have, uh, you're the president and CEO of Foster Light, and founder of Foster Light, and um we see that version of you today, but will you give us the the rundown of the journey to that version of you? Yeah, totally. Um, well, first of all, I'm not put together. That's just, we just need to set that straight. Um, <laughs> there's a lot 
there's a lot going on. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Kansas City. Um, growing up, I always wanted to be a teacher. And so that was kind of my, you know, life goal. I've always loved kids and always wanted to be a mom, et cetera. So um, I also went to a, um, I would go down to Mississippi to visit my grandmother in the summers. And I went to a foster care community with her and she supported a kid that lived there. And I remember I was probably eight years old. I remember just walking around this community. It was like a neighborhood where all foster families live. And I just thought, I'm doing this someday. This, it just, I just feel like God kind of like put that seed in my, in my heart at that time. So anyways, growing up, um, still wanted to be a teacher, but had the foster care, kind of spent a lot of time dreaming about what that could look like. Um, went to college. I spent some time in Africa in college teaching and that kind of shifted my career goal as far as like where I wanted to teach. Um, so when I came back from Africa, graduated college and started teaching in Kansas City and really quickly realized like I was super passionate about, um, you know, teaching in the city and teaching in a Title I school. And so all, you know, the next 13 years of my life after that was spent in education in Title I schools. Um, but during that time, I also met Nick and we got married um, in 2010. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then pretty quickly, about a year after we got married, had our first son, Judah. He's 11. Um, and Nick and I always had talked about inviting kids into our home um, that weren't biologically related to us, whether that was foster care or adoption. That was something that both of us kind of grew up wanting to do. Um, and so we kind of thought we'll have bio kids and then do that later, later in life. Um, so after I had Judah, got pregnant when he was about 18 months old and I had a miscarriage um, with that baby. I think I was like 17 weeks um, pregnant and kind of just went into labor and ended up going, you know, going to the hospital and saying, I think I'm in labor. Um, I'm or like, I guess I'm having a miscarriage maybe. I don't know, you know. Um, and that experience was like incredibly tragic and traumatic for us um, and really shaped a lot of, you know, who I am as a mom kind of felt like the first real life thing that had happened to me, even though I was like an adult who was a teacher married with a child, but that was like, oh, life is really hard and God isn't who I thought he was. That's what I felt, you know, um, like God's goodness doesn't all like, doesn't look like what I thought God's goodness looked like. Um, but it was so much more real than I, than I knew. Um, and so just being able to like lean into God's character in that season was so, so rich. So after that had another miscarriage, um, a few months later, and that was a huge blow as well. Um, so we were like, you know what, 
maybe maybe we adopt now. Let's pursue that and kind of see where it goes and just try to not get pregnant for a while because I just don't think I can do that again. And so pretty shortly after that, got pregnant with Westfall when we were trying to not get pregnant. Um, and so had him, <laughs> which is how that happens, um, had him, he was, he's three years younger than Judah. So had Judah, had Westfall. And then I had another miscarriage after that. Um, then trying to like get my timeline straight in my head. Um, I started going to grad school to be a principal after that, when the boys were little and kind of just felt like, um, you know, I felt like I was being called to leadership in some aspects and, um, the setting that I was in at the time was a school setting. So I thought, okay, let's, let's pursue principalship. So I did this grad school program. And during that time we were kind of having like, honestly, a really rough patch in our marriage. And we kind of started to pray or just, okay, God, like what, what's our, we need to reconnect. We need to get a, get ministry together or some sort of, you know, what, what are we doing? And so we kind of (laughs) committed to pray, you know, separately about what the next season should look like in our, in our family. And both of us felt like foster care is where, you know, where we're headed. And so started pursuing foster care, doing the classes and all of that. And, um, then we got our first foster placement when the boys were five and two. And um, the gr- we our first foster placement was a four-year-old girl, a two-year-old girl, and an infant. And so we had, I took like <laughs> a day off work. This is funny. I took one day off, you know, when I gained three children. And I went back to work the next day, like the day after, and someone was like, wow, so like five under five. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, I, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. Five kids under five. Oh, we've made a huge mistake. I mean, I was just like, what were we thinking? (laughs) Um, Anyway, so we've been doing foster care for six years and we have six kiddos now from ages like two and a half to 11, four girls and two boys. The two boys are biological and the girls are in foster care. Um, And, you know, the foster care journey has looked nothing like we thought. Um, But, you know, it makes so much sense. I start looking at the statistics of foster care, like, you know, parents, foster parents quitting within the first 50% of foster parents quit within the first year of, of fostering. And I'm like, yep, that makes sense because it blows up your life, you know, not because the kids are bad. That's not it. But people quit because the system is messed up. It's really difficult to do what's best for kids in in a system that works the way that it does um, because there's so many caveats and politics and, um, but also foster parents are just severely under-resourced. And so that playing out in our lives really brought up that childhood dream, mm-hmm. um, back to my brain. 
um, as I was doing leadership at a school, um, I just thought, you know, I just felt God calling me more to the foster care world. And so I stopped working in education, um, at the end of 2020 and, um, started doing the foster care deal, foster care support. So that's kind of how, what foster light was born out of. So that was a really long answer to your, where did you come from? (laughs) Where did you come from? from? Where did you go? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good though. And it's so amazing how, like, I just think it's so cool how, when you're eight, you're eight years old, I'm just imagining little Katie, by the way, what did your grandmother do to support? What, what was her role? Just financial. I think we were dropping off birthday gifts or something. So I think what they, they had like people kind of like adopt a kid, which that's a really poorly phrased because they didn't adopt them, but you know, like support a kid and they would bring them gifts for birthdays and Christmas, et cetera, probably financial support as well. I haven't, I, I should ask her. She's, she's 96. That would be cool. But she would remember. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like to hear you say you visited that at eight years old and you already felt a connection. And I think it's so, sometimes it happens like that where it's like you're eight and it turns on for you. And then sometimes it happens when you're 28 or you're 58 and it turns, and I think it's so cool how, yeah, you were able to return to that eight-year-old version of yourself throughout your whole story. So when you were deciding, first of all, I didn't know you had three miscarriages I thought, I I think I only remember chatting about that one, but that, yeah, that obviously I have experienced three as well. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was finding myself feeling really emotional when you were sharing that I'll have to give Mm. you, give you one of my little gifts, my little boxes that I made. (laughs) I love those. Yes. They're so cool. I'm going to give you one. Um, but was there a time after that, after you had Westfall and you were deciding to start foster care that you questioned if you were creating a disadvantage to your sons by bringing in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was the biggest fear. Um, And in talking to foster parents that have biological kids, that's kind of always the case, you know, the biggest fear that people have. Um, I talked to a lady when we were doing our foster care classes and she um, had moved her kids to Brazil, moved their family to Brazil when her girls were in high school. And I said, uh, to, to be missionaries. And I said, did they hate you for that? Like, did that ruin their lives? And she's like, oh my gosh, they were so mad, you know, and told me about how hard it was. But she said, the deal is though, like, you don't get called to something and drag your kids along. Your kids are being called to be foster siblings too. And you're being called to be a foster parent. And so there's just as much for them to learn and grow in as us, you know? And I will say like the girl's success in our home, especially initially was like 100% because of the boys. Because the boys just welcomed them in. This is our house. This is what we do. This is our mom and dad. And we trust them. And the kids just immediately had trust for one another, um, which was so cool to watch. And it's been, I mean, 
the past six years has been have been hard for everyone but we've watched the boys sift through issues and um and we've watched them grow we've watched them learn we've watched you know they're they're exposed to a lot of things that i would not want them to be exposed to at this age but it's real life and i think they are able to recognize that people are going through a lot more than you see on the outside. And they watch, you know, they see um, the, the trauma and the pain and the hurt and it's their sisters. You know what I mean? It's their sisters that are hurting and they watch it happen so close up. Yeah. And they're able to just have so much empathy, not only for the girls, but like their friends at school and, um, you know, other kids around them, you know, that's one thing I hear from their teachers. And I mean, they're n- not perfect by any means, but no, but they, know, are, they are consistent. leaders. You can tell even just on looking your boys are leaders, you know, they have that compassionate, like lion heart. And I, yeah. and I, I totally like, I know people listening might not know that about them, but just from what I see, you know, I'm just so grateful that they are part of my kids' community, you know? Mm-hmm. It makes yeah. so I'm just validating all of what you're saying. Thank you. Yeah, they they're empathetic. They yeah. they are able to see past surface, which is cool. Yeah. Do you feel like as a mom you have two things going on in your head when like the night gets terrible, like let's say everybody's kind of freaking out, everyone's crying, <laughs> like whatever it is, and you're like you've got maybe like does it feel like the girls are on one side where you're monitoring them and like trying to take care of them and then on the other side are your boys or in your head is it all they're all together and you're mm, Does that does that question. question make sense? Because it's kind of two different needs that are going on. Totally. Yeah. Usually, whoever, like one of us is dealing with the trauma trigger blow up situation, and the other person is checking in on all of the kids who aren't freaking out. So, and in that moment, you and Nick just kind of make eye contact and decide, or is it you're taking this one way? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we kind of like we'll tap out with each other. Like if I'm if I'm frustrated, I'm not going to be able to go in and and provide a calm, nurturing situation for the kid that's having a meltdown. Um, So I need to be completely regulated so I can go in and like bring that regulation to the situation. So it kind of just depends on which which of us is in a better place. Yeah. You know, do you feel like that's the biggest area you've had to like grow in Mm. or is there are there like are there other tools that you're like oh no that one trumps that self-regulation I feel like is something you talk about a lot yeah man there's so many so many things I've had to grow in but yeah I think as a mom it's like you you set the tone for the space so like if you're stressed and you're rage cleaning the kids are having to like deal with that, you know, and (laughs) not that any of us ever do that, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, like 
I'm constantly just like, okay, I'm the adult. I bring like, I'm setting this up. I'm the grown up. I'm regulating myself, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. hard. It's funny. The kids and how they respond to someone having a meltdown, you know, they could be like, I'm scared. This is crazy. Or, you know, not. So this is a funny story. One time Nick and I are trading off child meltdown city in the back of the house and Nick and we both end up needing to be in there for a few minutes with her and all the kids are in the living room and I'm like I'm gonna go out there and check on them just like make sure everybody's okay and the baby was asleep so it was just like a few of the older kids and I go out into the living room like expecting them to just be like I don't know crying and they're like all dead on the floor laughing just like cracking up and I was like what is going on like what are you guys doing and (laughs) one of the kids um stands up and goes I was just showing them how black Americans twerk and I was like what and she's like this is how black Americans twerk and she just starts like dancing and I was like okay this is not what I expected that was happening out here but I love it you really just don't know <laughs> and you're good like you're you're it's working for yeah. you yeah <laughs> you're yeah. entertaining it's- yourselves out here I'll make my way back <laughs> yeah yeah exactly how enough. often how how often and is it is it in seasons that you find yourself in an evening of turmoil um oh gosh yeah I mean it it, it does go in seasons yeah but yeah. um I mean right now almost every day yeah I would say when um, I saw you at the soccer field, had you guys just had a meltdown on the field? Mm, no. Okay. Why? I, I just Did was curious. <laughs> I, I, just, I like First of all, for those listening, like it was really hot out there. So I couldn't figure out, but, um, I just told Eli, like, I felt like Katie had just been like punched in the face, like not physically, <laughs> but like, <laughs> and so then you and one of your boys were walking and Nick was like, Katie, we're parked this way. Katie, oh. we're parked this way. And you guys just like kept walking. And so then that's why I texted you. Honestly, I was like, I love you. You're amazing. Cause like in my head, you guys had just had something happen. <laughs> that is so funny. I yeah. have no idea. I don't remember anything, but maybe. Oh, you I know what? Also something else happened. happened. And Nick said, you're not, he said to the girls as we're walking, um, you're not even allowed to look at each other. Like, <laughs> he said that to <laughs> you know what? The girls were in a fight. Okay. I mean, that feels so normal, but okay. um, they were saying, using really unkind words to one another. So I think Nick gotcha. was just like, don't even look at each other. Yeah. We, we <laughs> honestly, like my kids um, are, I mean, are that same, like they're constantly like at each other. And so I had a friend the other day tell me she keeps a spray bottle of water in her car <laughs> because when she's driving down the highway, if they get like too physical with each other she can just like spray that my gosh it's terrible (laughs) and also I was like that's I mean here's the thing for anyone listening who is like that's a terrible idea and that's so mean you have to realize like I have a child getting physically injured (laughs) because I can't control them but um I talked to a foster mom one time that was um talking about road trips and she has like 
13 kids or something crazy. And she sits in the passenger seat and she gets like a Costco bag, Costco size bag of Skittles. And she tells her kids, when we get to the hotel, you guys can have this entire bag. It's, it's all yours. But when you fight, I'm throwing some out the window. So she just, she said she doesn't even talk to them. She just rolls the window down, like starts hearing them fight, rolls the window down, starts chucking handfuls of Skittles out the window. (laughs) I'm like, she's like, we don't even have to have a conversation about it. We're just, I'm just chucking them out the window. Meanwhile, the people behind her are like, oh, what is going on? Getting their windshield shattered yeah. by Skittles at going 70 miles an hour. Truly, truly, you're, you are tasting the rainbow. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I love that so much. Okay, I need to gather my thoughts so I know what question I'm asking next. Um, all right, so you started Foster Light and obviously this is a message that you're having to repeat over and over and over and over again. I mean, I've heard you speak several times and every time you tell these stories of basically the story that like tugs my heart almost completely out of my body is the first night your girls came mm. to your home. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, you're, you're welcome to share that story here if you want, but also how do you stay like are there days where you just are like I don't I don't actually want to talk about that anymore it's tiring Mm -hmm. you know it feels so normal um I think there's a lot of things about foster care that are probably tiring that feel normal um and that's probably why you know it is so overwhelming and exhausting to be a foster parent because trauma becomes normal and you're absorbing all of this trauma. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the first night we, we showed the girls around the house. We're just like, this is where we live. We showed them every inch of the house so they could, you know, not have anxiety about like, well, what's downstairs or what's, you know, where's the bathroom or so we ordered pizza and just kind of like got to know each other. We put them to bed that night and, um, the older two were four and two and they were sleeping in the same room. And then the baby was in a little crib in our room. Um, but we, we were out in the living room, Nick and I, and we started hearing them cry and it was this guttural grief cry coming from a child. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've never heard a kid cry like that because it was just this, grief. Where's my mom? Where am I? How long are we going to be here? What happened? You know, it was this, they had a really traumatic, um, removal. Okay. And then at our house with these strangers, you know, um, of course we like went back there and just talked with them and rocked them and tried to give them some sense of peace. But that was just the beginning of this like grief, enjoy roller coaster that is foster care you know um yeah when did they call you mom for the first time and what did that do to you Mm. or do you remember that I don't remember it kind of was a slow transition from they called me mama Katie for a while and daddy Nick 
Um, and we're, we've always just been very like, you call us whatever you want. There's yeah. No necessity, you know, in what they needed to call us. Um, and, and we've just stood by that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, I think because the boys called us mom and dad, it kind of was just like, that's who we were in the home or was, was mom and dad. Um, so it just became kind of normal, but we, we definitely still call their biological parents, mom and dad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To model that for them. <clears throat> when did you find out you were getting a sixth kiddo? <laughs> did, were, were you like, were, was she almost due? Yeah, or, we, okay. we didn't know, um, until she was was coming you know okay. like they oh was, until they she was, was in labor yeah um and <laughs> that's, that's it, and then the, that's wild that's like yeah so we had just moved to this house like we had just moved and then like a week later the baby came um and we didn't know for sure if she was going to be able to take the baby home or you know um so yeah, we just were, they were like, Hey, can you come get this baby? We're like, Oh, <laughs> what six kids. That's a lot. I mean, there's just, there was just so much to yeah. process with it, but it was the girl's sister, you know? Yeah. Um, and initially we were thinking we would take her for a few months and kind of see if there was another foster home that, you know, friends or family of ours that would take her um but it was we quickly realized that she was exactly what our you know our family needed and she was so bonded to the girl she is so bonded to the girls and um that it was just a perfect fit yeah that's awesome what would you say to someone who is like man I really feel passionate about what you're talking about but I don't know if foster care specifically is for me yeah I mean foster care is definitely not for everybody but I think everybody can have a role in it somehow um and that's kind of you know what we talk about with foster light a lot is um foster families need support so badly. Um, and a lot of times people don't have the capacity in their lives to, I mean, like you, so you have four kids, you can't like come do my laundry for me, you know? I mean, I would if you needed it, but (laughs) (laughs) that's not something that you have the capacity to do, but, but people have 50 bucks. They would, they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll give 50 bucks to this organization that is supporting foster families. So there's that piece of it. But even, you know, we had a, a younger gal in her 20s come pick up the kids um, for soccer practice this year. Like every day she came to get someone and take them to soccer because we were having those meltdowns in the evening and really needed Nick and I both to be here. But somebody had soccer practice. And so even just that like transportation piece, her coming and like we paid her to do that. But like if someone was looking for like a volunteer thing, 
finding a foster family and just being like, Hey, I'm going to bring you dinner once a week. Hey, I'm going to, um, pick your kids up for their sports. Hey, I'm going to drive your kids to school in the morning or, you know, just providing that support, opening up time and space in their schedule so that they can meet the needs of the kids in their home. Well, yeah. Will you share about foster light and exactly what foster light does? Yeah. So basically we're a a support organization and we um, come alongside foster families in really practical ways to help their mental and emotional health and help the health of their family. Um, So foster families apply on our website and there's several different, you know, things that, you know, requirements that they have. Um, but once they're a foster light family, we provide therapy for them. The foster parents, um, go to therapy. We pay the therapist directly. So we provide like $1,250 a month worth of services. Therapy is the one that's required, um, for all parents. And then they can piece together and kind of curate this wraparound care that would serve their family best. So the goal is for kids to be in the same home the whole time they're in foster care, instead of jumping around to five or six homes and having five or six massive trauma blows and then going back home more unhealthy than they were when they came into care or aging out of the system more unhealthy than when they came into care or getting adopted with all this additional trauma because they had went to all these homes. So dream is foster parents continue doing it because it's sustainable. Kids stay in the same home the whole time they're in care. We're producing healthier, more whole humans instead of the statistics right now say that, you know, my kids are going to be pregnant by the time they're 19. They're going to be in the criminal justice system by the time they're 20. They're, you know, they have a 3% chance of gaining a college degree if that's what they choose. The statistics are horrible. Yeah. So we're producing humans that don't have a very high chance of being successful. So the dream is that we're, we're wrapping around people in a way that causes their mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health to be solid so they can raise their kids well. Yeah. They can raise healthy kids. So therapy is the only required one, but every family gets $1,250 worth of basically services if they're a foster light family. So that could come in like laundry or like literally. Laundry, yeah. Organizational services, laundry, cleaning, lawn service, handyman services, whatever they, I sit down with moms and I'm like, what is, what are your biggest pain points right now? What part of your day is the most stressful? What do you find yourself awake in the night thinking about? Let's tackle those things. So if you walk past your laundry room every day and think, my life, (laughs) you know, let's have an organizer come in and figure out how to make this space usable so that when you walk in here, you feel like you can get stuff done. Yep. Oh, mornings are super stressful. Let's come up with a, I, with all of my families, we come up with a morning routine that's curated specifically for their family, an evening routine, a chore chart, 
specifically for that group of people that's in their home currently. Yeah. Um, so that they can have structure in their home, almost like classroom style, you know, like, okay, large family structures, large family systems, where does everyone put their backpack? Where does everyone keep their Chromebook, you know, systems to help the mom's brain, mom and dad, help the mom and dad's brains. And kids. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent takes that stress away from the kid as well. Yeah. I, I think it's so cool what you're, what you've built. And I just feel like you uh, building this company is like, just been insanely incredible to watch, but also you live it because you believe it's possible to do good work and also take care of yourself. And that mm-hmm. is like literally the biggest way you've personally impacted me is mm-hmm. like, I feel like, okay, it's not like, um, better for me to you know just kind of like forget about myself (laughs) it's like actually better when we all take care of ourselves and you're saying hey it's possible to do both you can also do good work and you can also have we're going to help your needs be met I think so you guys foster light is right now just in Missouri right yeah but well no actually we do have a family in Kansas okay awesome so Kansas as well but eventually this is going to be we see it as a nationwide thing that's actually going to change the way that like even politically it, everything happens because this, like Katie's saying, and I didn't know and still don't know 99% of what goes on, but it is when she says it's not that because the kids are bad, it's because the system is corrupt. It's like, it is like such a bigger, um, elephant to eat than just like okay let's do laundry but I see that Katie you have this vision and I'm so excited to watch it just be completely fully funded so I'll say for someone from someone's perspective who you know I don't have a foster kid or I'm not in foster care like Katie is but you're she's right you know I can donate 50 bucks a month that's like if anything, not eating at Chipotle. And I'm not, I'm not someone to be like, you shouldn't buy something so that you can give. I mean, I'm like, let's just figure out how to make you more money. <laughs> I mean, really, that's like what I, the, the belief that I like to have, but truly if it comes down to that, you know? So I, I appreciate Katie that you've given me and others the opportunity to be involved in a space that we otherwise probably wouldn't have an in. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's been a cool experience for me to see that people really do want to help and people really do want to be a part of foster families' lives. There's just, they don't know how. And so giving that opportunity to people to say, Hey, like your investment actually could change the trajectory of someone's life. Uh, You know, that's a huge opportunity. What a gift. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Katie, thank you so much for being here. And you guys go follow Katie on all of the places on Instagram. Follow her personally too. (laughs) Katie Welch. I think it's hello. It's hello. It's Katie Welch, I think. Yeah. Hello. It's Katie Welch. And then um, Katie with a K. Yeah. And then Foster Light is just fosterlight.co on Instagram. Come hang out. And Katie will also come decorate your house if you become good enough <laughs> friends and you buy her some Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I 
I love it. Thank you so much for having me on. I always, always, always feel so encouraged hanging out with you. So you're the best. I feel the same. You're the best. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to The Bethany Shipley Show. I hope you feel more inspired. I hope you feel more excited, more clear on what your magic is because you are made of magic. And so all you have to do to make the magic happen is put yourself out there. So get on out there and do your best now, you hear? (laughs) 